CastleRockRadio.com.com.com. The future of radio. Imagine all the people living for today. Welcome to Food Integrity Now, advocating integrity in our global food supply. I'm Susan Wright, and I'm here with my co-host, Carol Gervais. Hello, Carol. Hi. Good to be here, Susan. Well, does chocolate and child slavery go together? And you would think no, but unfortunately, it's yes. It does and has been an an issue. Um, And not just because they both start with CH. (laughs) They... uh, It has been an issue in the chocolate industry for a while now that has finally come to light um, several years uh, hence. And uh, the chocolate industry is a $5.1 billion business. It, It has cocoa farmers that are five to six million strong, and it supports 40 to 50 million individuals that rely on it for their livelihood. And so this has been an issue that uh, that has been in the attention of human rights activists and labor organizations for a while now. And the the organizations that are are creating the most change and have, have been the leaders, have been the small co-ops and and the uh, the organizations like Equal Exchange that have a vision of fairness to farmers and uh, and creating a closer relationship between the consumer and the farmer. And today we're we're fortunate to have Rodney North of Equal Exchange with us to talk about this issue. Welcome, Rodney. Hi there. Thank you very much for having me on, and and thank you for uh, spending some time on this important topic. Well, thank you for for helping to educate us about this. Uh, the first question I want to ask is, why is this such a problem? How how much do cocoa farmers get for their cocoa? Well, generally very little, and this is true for probably the vast majority of the, the tropical commodities that we consume. There are these very long supply chains that, that really reach around the world from uh, places like Ghana and the Ivory Coast, but Sri Lanka and Peru and Indonesia, and bring all these goods to our local grocery stores and and bring uh, these these ingredients to our uh, factories where we make uh, make coffee or or chocolate and what have you. And uh, generally, you have, as you said, millions and millions of these small scale farmers. And by small, we mean really small. I mean some of you, your listeners, will have yards that are bigger then these farmers have land. Um, it can be, say, a hectare or less. And so there, there are many of them. They have very little land. They have uh, little or no support from their government, uh, sometimes less. And they are what in economics are called price takers. Um, there are many of them usually unorganized, <clears throat> whereas there's only a handful of buyers. There may be one or two uh cocoa uh, buyers in their community or, or fewer, or it could be that all the buyers are actually working for one uh, local mill or exporter. And so when you have that kind of situation where lots of farmers uh, 
have little power or or uh, resources. You know, at the, the end of harvest, they have to deliver their their crop to somebody who will buy it, and they have to take whatever price is offered, and they're they're in no position to bargain. The um, this you find this in crops like coffee, sugar, cacao, um, year in year out, and these farmers just get uh, poorer and poorer. Um, unless something comes along to change it, and we could talk about that more later, um, those things that can make a difference are when farmers get together and form cooperatives or when they can connect with fair trade buyers uh, like Equal Exchange. Uh, so to get back to your original question about how much are they getting, basically just enough to get by. Uh, it's really a subsistence, not subsistence, but it's a just a really a poverty-level income. Um, it's not... Uh, it's not by chance or coincidence that these millions of farmers are as poor or poorer than they were 30 years ago. Um, they have a very low standard of living. Uh, generally, you know, they may be lucky to have electricity uh, or a, a hard surface floor. Um, very likely don't have running water. That probably gives you an idea of how little they're making out of the out of the cocoa trade. And the the children that are enticed into into labor are are probably even even more uh, poor than than yes the they are there is still uh, more worse off if you mm-hmm. I can imagine it um, there is a there's an unfortunate well there is a uh, tradition of, in West Africa of children often being sent to other communities usually with uh, a family member like a distant uncle. But that's not the problem here. Uh, rather, what you have is a, a, a no, no holds barred form of uh, human trafficking. Um, there'll often be uh, children who are lured, almost like I don't know if your listeners will remember uh, Charlie and the sorry, uh, uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, and there's the Walt Disney movie of the '60s, and there's a, a nasty guy who lures children away from their homes with candy. And you sometimes actually have things as as uh, as bald as that um, traffickers luring children with promises of a bicycle or something, um, and before they know it, they've been separated from their families, usually from a neighboring country like Mali or Burkina uh, Burkina Faso, and um, there will be snuck across the border. Usually, it's into the Ivory Coast, uh, source of forty percent of the world's cocoa. Um, and they'll move uh, hundreds of miles to communities where they don't know anybody. They may not even speak the local language. And uh, they're sold uh, to uh, unscrupulous farmers who themselves are desperate, though that doesn't uh, justify it, of course. Um, and uh, and the, the exploitation can, of course, take a, a range. It's not uh, uh, just one thing. Or, or one other, it could be that they're poorly paid or, or not paid at all, which, of course, when it gets into uh, a slavery situation where they're not paid, uh, they're forcibly kept on the farm. Um, and given that they don't know where they are, they don't speak the language, they don't know anybody, um, it's not hard uh, to keep these children uh, on the farms. Um, they could be uh, quite young uh, or uh, up into their teenage years. And that would be be one extreme of how bad it gets. But even as you move your way across the spectrum, it's just different variations of something bad, different degrees of something bad. 
Uh, so even uh, for the families or for the farms where there's no slavery, there is still suffering um, because of the, the chronic poverty that is the norm in the cocoa industry. And the one of the things we're trying to do with fair trade is not only address the most glaring problems, like where there's you know, children who are kept against their will working on farms, but uh, trying to address the whole broader problem of too little money reaching the farming communities, trying to address the problem of the farmers being economically vulnerable uh, and powerless, um, and also just doing things like this, like this interview, uh, because one thing that allows these problems to persist is is obscurity or an invisibility. So at Equal Exchange, we try to be an advocate uh, for the farmers and for the children, and not only point out, hey, there's these problems, you know, thousands of miles away, but also there there are solutions, existing solutions that work, that have worked for years, that simply need to be embraced. And that would be to support the formation of farmer co-ops so the farmers have more power in the marketplace, and also to support initiatives like fair trade importing, which uh, gives those cooperatives uh, a much better price and, and in turn, raises the profile of the farmers uh, so that we here are thinking about where uh, our cocoa is coming from. Yeah, Rodney, I have a question. So the farmers aren't making any money. Uh, the farmers live, uh, as you were just mentioning, in pretty much poverty. Who's making the money? Uh, so it's everybody else. <laughs> the, the, the next people, and this is, by the way, as we're talking specifically about cocoa, you can kind of take out the word cocoa and put in something else, uh, like sugar, bananas, what have you, mm-hmm. um, and you get very similar stories. Uh, so the next person, usually it's the, the next person in the chain will make more. And then the next person beyond that will make still more. Um, in uh, the Ivory Coast and with uh, cocoa, the local uh, buyers, um, they'll be better off. They may have a vehicle. Uh, they'll have access to cash, and they'll be kind of like a collecting agent. Uh, they're sent into the field, usually at the behest of somebody else, uh, uh, probably a business. Um, and they're they're better off. Um, the people who are working for the local uh Exporters or processors uh, will be much better off. But in cocoa, often the exporters are, in fact, American companies. Like most of the cocoa exported out of the Ivory Coast is exported by Cargill or Archer Daniels Midland. Um, and they're making this opportunity to, to buy low and then sell a valuable commodity to the Hershey's and the Mars and the Nestle's it's a profitable position to be in, and there's only altogether maybe five or six businesses that are controlling billions of dollars of exports out of um, the Ivory Coast uh, or Ghana or where have you. Um, and so a lot of the money is being made there at the export stage, but also a lot is being made at the manufacturing stage. So uh, besides the brand names we recognize, like Mars and Hershey's and Nestle, uh, another very big, equally big company is called uh, Barry Calibo. Uh, they often make the chocolate that then is sold on a private label basis to other smaller brands, like maybe Godiva or small mm-hmm. uh, confectionery shops, um, sold to ingredient, sold as ingredients to other manufacturers for chocolate chip cookies or something. Okay. Um, so we, we have that's to where a lot a of the money is. Oh, okay. 
Um, and we're going to continue talking about this uh, with Rodney North of Equal Exchange on Food Integrity Now. We'll be right back. you are looking for some flavorful, healthy, fresh food, come out to Maximilian's Cafe in Woodland Park, Colorado, focusing on local, fresh ingredients with a changing seasonal menu. Located at 209 East Midland Avenue, Woodland Park, Colorado, right off Highway 24 in downtown. Our walls are full of local artist artwork, and on Friday and Saturday nights, we feature local singers, songwriters, and performers to entertain you while you relax and enjoy a fun environment, a glass of wine, and fantastic food. Open seven days a week from 11 to 9 p.m., 11 to 8 p.m. on Sunday and Monday. experiencing anxiety, anger, depression, or low self-esteem? Do you beat yourself up or sabotage what you truly want to achieve? Hi, this is Jeannie Smith, and at Open Heart Healing, I combine counseling, gestalt therapy, and Thai energy work to assist those who truly desire to bring quality and joy back into their lives. My office is located on South Perry Street here in Castle Rock. Call me for a free consultation at 303-660-6373. Again, and that's 303-660-6373 or visit me at openhearthealing.com. Holistic Pathways is your local herbal medicine clinic. You can find them online at holisticpathways.com. Holistic Pathways supplies certified organic and ethically wildcrafted bulk medicinal herbs, herbal extracts, and essential oils. Holistic Pathways offers Mayan abdominal massage and specializes in women's health and fertility. Call 720-570-2454 to speak to a certified clinical herbalist today. That's Holistic Pathways at 720-570-2454. Welcome back to Food Integrity Now. We've been talking with Rodney North of Equal Exchange about the chocolate industry and the issue of child slavery. And Rodney, we're just talking about who is making all the money, and it's not at all the farmer. It's everybody else but the farmer, and that's what's contributing to this problem. Um, That's the cause of this problem. So on the consumer's end, uh, what, what can people do to make sure that they're not supporting that? The easiest thing to do is to look for fair trade certified uh, cocoa and chocolate products, and there are the, the the ones that are most commonly available besides Equal Exchange would be Divine Chocolate and uh, Theo Chocolate out of Seattle. Um, for if you have any Canadian listeners, it's uh, uh, Cocoa Camino up there. Uh, there's another very good outfit out of California is uh, Sweet Earth Organics. Um, but in general, looking for fair trade certified uh, chocolates and cocoa, uh, the two certifiers out there, there's one called Transfer USA. They have a black and white seal. Another one is called Emo, uh, which is one we use, and we don't. there's no seal uh, mm-hmm. necessarily on that. There's small print on the, on the package that says it's fair trade certified. Um, but also, uh, if you can't find that, uh, or, organic chocolates would be your next best bet mainly because uh, the vast majority of that is coming from uh, the Dominican Republic 
and other producers in Latin America where child slavery has not been a problem. And just in general, uh, the uh, practices on organic farms for a variety of reasons uh, tend to be uh, a notch or two above the norm. Yeah, and that's something I didn't I didn't realize that pesticides were used on on cocoa beans, but they are, yes. and that causes all kinds of health problems. Yes, and and this is again a norm in the global south where there are little to no uh, enforcement of uh, uh, safety rules, and so a a common thing as for cocoa production, uh, which is overwhelmingly in West Africa, seventy percent comes from West Africa. Uh, is you'll have uh, young people, even children, uh, and it could be the children of the farmer, uh, himself or herself, are uh, handling uh, machetes and toxic pesticides without either instruction or any kind of safety gear, no goggles, gloves, aprons, um, and you know, walking barefoot through uh, the farm, spraying these things. And uh, the chemicals are definitely a problem for the land and and. Uh, uh, wildlife, and definitely for the people, even children, who are applying the chemicals. So, Rodney, the the mainstream chocolate companies, you know, that people buy from Hershey's, Nestle's, Mars, they're not, they're not, they're never fair traded. Uh, there's only a few exceptions. Well, uh, if if you see the brands, uh, uh, Mars, Hershey's, uh, uh, Nestle, no, none of those are fairly traded. Some of these companies have sub-brands. Um, so, for example, Hershey owns uh, Dagoba, and that's an organic brand. Really? And, and Yeah. And Dagoba has a single uh, fair trade chocolate bar called Konokado. Likewise, Kraft owns Cadbury, who owns Green and Black. Green and Black is an organic brand, and uh, they have one fair trade chocolate bar. Only so, one with all the different. Are you talking about with like Dagoba, which is a chocolate I'm very familiar yeah. with? Yeah. So there's only one of 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 that brand yeah. that is fair traded. Right. Wow, that's that's news to me. Yeah, um, yeah, and it's uh, the the Konokado bar that so you can look for that. Okay. Um, yeah, there's basically in the states you're going to be looking for Equal Exchange or Divine, which is not an organic brand, but. Otherwise, it's very commendable. It's owned by uh, Ghanaian farmers, and it's a 100% fair trade organization. And then the other major source would be uh, Theo, which has organic and fair trade chocolate. What about endangered species? Because I, I, I buy their chocolate. Yeah. Um, endangered species, most of what they sell is neither organic nor fairly traded. Wow. Uh, they do, if you look, um, they do sell organic chocolate. That's a step in the right direction. Um, they do, you can read their own website, they do talk about using uh, ethically traded cocoa, but there's no certification for it. Uh, and I don't want to say what it, what, what it does or doesn't mean, um, but that would be up for you or the shopper uh, to make that judgment call. Right. So the companies that, I mean, there, there are... Uh, actions uh, taken by labor organizations to get these company companies to conform or to to make reform um how effective has that been uh that has been uh, eventually it has had effect Mm uh the the two people who have really been holding the industry's feet to the fire has been the international labor rights forum Uh, you can go to laborrights.org and you can click on 
the uh, child labor tab, and in turn, under child labor, uh, they have a cocoa campaign. And there you can read to your heart's delight all about both what's wrong and some of a, some about what's working within reforming the cocoa industry. Um, it's been 10 years now that the child labor problem has come to light, and just reform has been excruciatingly slow. Um, another group is Global Exchange. They're an advocacy group, uh, and they have a Actually, they have a good list of uh, reliable uh, chocolate products, including some smaller brands that I'm forgetting right now. What is their website? It'd be globalexchange.org. Okay, for our listeners, if you want to get a list of... um... Yeah, just Google Global Exchange Chocolate, uh, and that'll take you to the right page and all kinds of useful pages. Uh, Interestingly, we work together with Global Exchange, the Labor Rights Forum, and a bunch of others uh, to do what's called a reverse trick-or-treating campaign every Halloween, where, in fact, uh, <clears throat> thousands of families and their children, when they go to, go door-to-door, uh, you, you know, they knock on the door, you open the door, and the child hands you a card uh, raising your awareness about the child labor problem, and attached to it will be one of our organic fair trade chocolates. Oh, wow. So That's you great. learn about the problem. There's information about where to learn more. And you actually get to eat the solution, uh, which really pedagogically is a great uh, teaching opportunity. And fairly treated chocolate does taste better, I've noticed. Well, thank you. We, <laughs> we think so. Equal uh, Exchange has great chocolate. And we do cocoa, by the way, as well. Um, cocoa powder, hot cocoa, drinking mix, that kind of thing. Oh, so you, you can buy it? Uh, can you buy it on your website? or? Yes. Go to shop.equalexchange.com. And you can find all of our products, the coffee, the tea, um, as well as all the chocolate products, gifts. Um, and also, you can find our chocolate bars at uh, most uh, Whole Foods around the country, okay. uh, as well as many natural food stores, food co-ops, and so on. Well, it's good to know, uh, you know, and to our listeners, you don't have to give up your chocolate, just, no. you know, just like with any other products, know who you're supporting and what you're supporting. Yeah, and this is also true just kind of across the shopping aisles. And and many of the things that we buy is uh, to withhold your purchasing is one thing, but ideally you can redirect it to a better positive alternative. Um, And that's that's true for chocolate uh, as well. You don't need to to give up on it. And, in fact, if you keep buying, uh, you're going to be sending the industry a signal that, yes, you will support this kind of sourcing, uh, that'll, you know, the market does work in that way. The industry will respond and will sooner or later start shifting their practices to what you are through your purchases. Right. You, you're saying what you want and will support. Yeah, we vote with, with our dollars. Yeah, it's important to vote your votes, but also vote your dollars. Right. And and furthermore, with that, I think I... I heard another show that you that you were on, and and what was mentioned was that the farmers or the young generation are so um, disillusioned with you know being able to make any money at this that there there are less cocoa farmers now as a result. Is that true? Sure, and and that's especially true with coffee, but yeah, it's also true with cacao. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think about it, uh, you can only squeeze a person, a family, a community so much. And they're going to leave. They're going to leave the countryside. They're going to stop uh, growing these crops. That certainly has been a problem in Latin America. 
where there's always around the corner that possibility is like, well, okay, I don't really want to grow poppies or marijuana, but I just can't make it growing coffee. Right. And these drug dealers are offering me, you know, 10 times as much if I just plant some, some poppies or, or whatever. Um, and uh, I've met with cacao farmers in, in Peru. They said, like, just pay us. I mean, they're kind of speaking to the industry as a whole. Just pay us something. Even if it's a fraction of what I would otherwise make, you know, through the drugs, I want to make a legitimate living. But, you know, it's just so hard as it is. And that's what fair trade buyers are doing is making it possible for these farmers to just have a, a not a not to be rich but just have a slightly better uh, life and have some hope uh, and to avoid the temptation of really the desperate choice of uh, growing drugs or uh, and of course many they don't grow drugs they, they just leave the countryside and they go to Lima and they go to Mexico City and they go to Arizona and California because they can't make it as a farmer you know, uh, we're going to take a break uh, shortly, but I just had a question. I don't know if this is something you've explored. Um, is the drug cartel industry, are they in cahoots with the chocolate industry, keeping it that way so that farmers are forced into doing something to make more money? I, it just That just crossed my mind, and um, I just wondered if you... It's an interesting idea, but mm-hmm. but no, the, the chocolate industry wants the farmers to keep farming uh, and to do it for very little. Right. <laughs> okay. So, but we can pick up on that. Okay. Well, yeah, next next uh, half hour, we want to get into more what what your organization is doing and how we can start affecting change as consumers. Um, So we'll be right back with Rodney North of Equal Exchange on Food Integrity Now. I'm Carol Gervais, and I'm a certified life coach and one of the hosts of the Food Integrity Now show right here on Castle Rock Radio. Have you ever dreamed of swimming with the wild and free dolphins? I'm not talking about the ones in captivity like the ones at Dolphin Quest. I'm talking about swimming with them in the wild. If this is something you've only dreamt about doing, I invite you to mark this off your bucket list now and join me for an all-inclusive trip to swim with the wild dolphins. Your trip to paradise will include organic gourmet meals, ocean waterfront accommodations, Lomi Lomi massage, and much more. What are you waiting for? Now is the time to make your dream a reality. For more information, go to Wild Dolphin Swim adventures.com or contact me at carol at coachwithcarol.com or 719-687-7447. Once again, that's 719-687-7447. Mahalo. Are you seeking understanding and assistance in healing your depression and anger or lack of passion? Hi, my name is Tammy Urbanic at Empowerment Through Healing, and I'm a medium clairvoyant who can work with your spirit guides to assist you. Your spirit guides can offer solutions and understanding of current life issues that you're facing. Visit www.empowermentthroughhealing.com for more information, and you can call me at 719-641-2017.
Welcome back to Food Integrity Now. We have as our guest today Rodney North from Equal Exchange, and we are talking about the uh, cocoa or cacao, however that word is pronounced, industry. And um, one of the things we left off with, Rodney, we were, Susan suggested that maybe in this last half hour we talk more about uh, how we as consumers can really affect a change and what are what are your thoughts on that oh i i think there's no end to what uh people can do and some of it's very direct and some of it's indirect but it all adds up um i think the, the option that people are most familiar with is to make changes in what you buy uh, we've talked about that you know for example looking for organic and fair trade uh cocoa chocolate uh sugar by the way which is often one of the main ingredients in these products um, but there's also, and then looking at uh, the brands behind them, I mean, you've heard about us and, and another fair trade company called Divine, but also looking at those who maybe are putting their, their toe in the water. Uh, some are more uh, serious about reforming their supply chains uh, than others. Um, but the, there's also a question of, well, uh, okay, so think about all the different places where you might buy food. Um, it's not just at the grocery store. Um, there's uh, at the uh, cafes and, and restaurants uh, where you, you uh, where, where you like to go. Uh, we find that um, uh, uh, business people want to know what you want to buy. So don't be shy about uh, telling them. You know, politely making requests of the grocery store managers or the, the manager at your favorite cafe or, or restaurant. Um, also. At your office, uh, people can make switches to what is the coffee served in, in the break room. Um, or maybe you work in a business that is, uh, you work in a store or in a restaurant or an office, and you're the decision maker about what gets served. There's another opportunity. Um, we sort of stumbled upon a surprising way to make a difference uh, through faith-based organizations. Uh, we ourselves are, we're a company, we're an employee-owned worker cooperative. We have no particular religious affiliation. But because of our commitment to fair trade and social justice, uh, about 10 years ago, uh, we sort of fell into a series of relationships with uh, the Lutheran community and Quakers and Mennonites and the Jewish community and so on, uh, where uh, a group in each of these communities has endorsed what we're doing, and they're helping introduce uh, this information about the reality of farmers and the fair trade alternative to tens of thousands of congregations and synagogues and parishes around the country. So now, actually, it's about 10,000 of these places of worship every year are buying coffee, uh, chocolate, tea from us to be served at their events, uh, in their own church kitchens, at their conference centers, and so on. And as much as that volume of purchasing is helping the farming communities, Equally important is the education and the advocacy that is going on. Because if you think about it, yeah, because you're there in the pew and a pastor or a rabbi or somebody is saying, like literally holding up a box of tea or a chocolate bar and saying, you know, you're connected to the people behind this, that's powerful. You know, it's a, it's a very it's a powerful teaching moment. Uh, similarly, in a more explicit teaching moment is in schools. Um, Schools around the country, of course, uh, do a lot of fundraising. Usually it's with very conventional, nondescript products, magazine subscriptions and car washes. 
And so we created a fair trade fundraising program for grade schools, middle schools, high schools. And so the schools are still raising money like they always would. Um, but by selling these products, they're also helping these farming communities. And they, the kids and the children, sorry, the, the children and the teachers and the families are learning about these issues that are all tied up with where our food comes from. And so that's been another great, uh, you know, you could say win-win, or maybe it's a three-way win. Um, children are learning. The farmers are benefiting. The families are learning. Um, oh, and the schools are raising money uh, all at the same time. What a, um, what a great way to get um, our children involved with where their food comes from. I yeah. mean, you know, a, a child eats a candy bar and, you know, perhaps then thinks about where it comes from and, you know, it's just, it just seems like a wonderful teaching opportunity. Well, we've actually, at the bequest of teachers, uh, we created a curriculum uh, which uh, meets many different uh, school requirements. I forget the particulars. It's a 16-unit curriculum, and teachers can use either one unit or all 16 units, how they, uh, however they wish. And it's a, it can be downloaded free from our website, which, by the way, is equalexchange.coop, the so .coop. And uh, it's often used in conjunction with the fundraising program. And uh, it's about, actually, the curriculum is about uh, cocoa production and trading. And it talks about organic farming. You know, where does cocoa come from? What kind of tree is it? Uh, what's the significance of using chemicals or not? And uh, about how some children actually are working against their will on these farms and about the fair trade alternative. That's all. That we decided to use actually cocoa and chocolate as sort of the, uh, the theme through the curriculum. Uh, and children are learning about history and geography, business, and more, even as maybe they're uh, raising funds for their school through the fundraising program. Um, but so besides, you know, you got your grocery store and your school and your place of worship maybe. Um, also, where your food comes from is dependent upon where you invest your money, uh, whether it's through your mutual funds, uh, certificates of deposit, or stocks you may hold. And so um, us and other socially responsible companies, we need to raise capital. And so uh, by selling stock or when people buy the stock, they're not just putting their grocery money behind change. They can put their, their investment money behind a, a better food system. Uh, similarly, we created a unique certificate of deposit through Wainwright Bank. And so uh, instead of buying a generic CD and you don't know where – how the money is being used, uh, that CD is being dedicated for our use to help finance our imports uh, of cocoa and bananas and chocolate from around the world. So there's many different ways people can participate. And, of course, never forget, uh, is like I said, vote your votes. You know, your communication to your legislators uh, has a big uh, impact on, on uh, trade pol international trade policy or the procurement uh, policies of your local city, county, state, um, because through the purchases of uh, local government offices, that's billions of dollars there, and that can be steered towards more ethical, sustainable uh, sources too. But but citizens have to ask for it first. Yeah, I think there are different levels of awareness. Like some people may 
be buying organic foods and supporting that way. And yet at their work, they have their 401k and not realize that some of the corporations that they're investing in, they, they wouldn't if they were aware. If they knew. If they knew. Yeah. And many employers now offer more socially responsible 401s. Uh, and to look for those, you know, look to see what's in the portfolio. Um, but the broader issue is just basically wherever you turn in your economic life, there's probably choices you have uh, that can promote reform, you know, support people who are doing good, exciting work um, or not. And, and, and probably we should – another thing not to forget is sometimes the most ethical, sustainable thing to do is not to buy anything at all. There may be no good option or – any choice might be, a, for example, a wasteful uh, one. Um, so, you know, we can't always buy our way into or shop our way to a better world. Uh, but if we're thoughtful about what we buy, what we don't buy, uh, how we consume things, how we invest, how we save our money, how we vote our votes uh, in November, uh, all of these things definitely add up. You know, we talk a lot on this show about um, not being passive and what you're talking about just addresses that very subject that, you know, just to take take responsibility, you know, at every level yeah. and be aware of, you know, how your money is being spent, you know, like the 401k, how, sure. you know, and just you know, it, it may be something that people just don't think about. So right. um, thank you for bringing that awareness. Well, that uh, was one of the things that motivated that the three founders of Equal Exchange in the 80s was uh, they didn't think that. People were bad, but usually they were just unaware, and uh, they didn't know where these foods came from or, or on what terms they were brought to the United States. And so they thought the first step is to, to educate people um, and then to encourage them to act on what they're learning. Mm-hmm. And that's important, what you just said. You know, it's one thing to to do your research, but I think it, the second step is to take some sort of action, you know. Yeah, and we find it's much easier. Obviously, there's there's some where it's, all, it's just you and the shopping cart. You know, it's pretty straightforward. Right. But, you know, speaking of making a request uh, at a business, at a store, at a cafe, um, or go to your HR manager and say, could we get this 401 or could we get a better selection of 401s for our uh, retirement policy? Mm-hmm. Those kinds of things matter. Or, or talking to somebody in your restaurant, your favorite restaurant that you go have your chocolate dessert. Where, where does their, where does their cocoa yeah. come from? Yeah, you, know? uh, you can just because that's sort of uh, that's not making an explicit request, but it's showing an interest. Right. Um, and you can go beyond that by asking, do you or could you source organic or or fair trade cocoa for your desserts for your coffee? Uh, just like you might encourage them to, to source, you know, local and sustainable uh, produce or, or meat and so on. So I wanted to ask more about your your co-op and how you started because I think, you know, people have, they can do individual things and some people can be inspired to do even bigger things. And it would be, I, th- I think the way to go would, is something what you're, you're doing, uh, building more of those, those co-ops. And would you explain how Equal Exchange got started? Sure. Um, And you just have a couple of minutes before break, but we'll continue. Uh, Well, there are three gentlemen, uh, Rink, Jonathan, and Michael, who were working in the food co-op movement, working with farmers here in New England. 
and they saw that, okay, gee, for all the international stuff, we don't have an ethical choice. We don't know where it comes from. We just kind of buy it blind off the market. And and they knew that something was amiss in places like Nicaragua and El Salvador, um, there on the ground. And so they wanted to bring what they knew about cooperative economics um, to, to the United States, uh, but they wanted to bring sort of more thoughtful, informed sourcing practices. They wanted to apply it not just to you know, apple farms in Maine, but to coffee farms in Central America. And so they they broke off, they left the, the business that they were with to create their own business. It was going to buy coffee, fairly traded. Um, it'd be an advocate for the farmers. And it itself would be organized as a worker-owned and governed cooperative. Uh, so also trying to address the problem of a lot of, a lot of us don't, a lot of people don't have good workplaces here in the States either. And so they wanted to bring some fairness and democracy into the own the workplace that they were about to build. And yeah, that's not something that most of us are very familiar with. What's it like working in that environment? It, it's great. Um, I, I say that it's as if uh, John Adams and Adam Smith sat down to create a business plan. Uh, you know, we are a for-profit business. We pay taxes. We create jobs. Um, we compete in the marketplace. But uh, with democracy woven through the business. And um, and it works just fine. You know, we have 115 people. Uh, we operate uh, across the country. We operate in many different categories like coffee, tea, and bananas. Uh, and we're profitable. We grow most every year. We've been in the black 19 out of 20 years. Great. And, and yet uh, we have some of the rights you expect as a citizen in your community. Um, if we're about to come to a break, I yeah. can elaborate on that a little <laughs> bit more. Okay. We'll be right back with Rodney North of Equal Exchange. If you are looking for some flavorful, healthy, fresh food, come out to Maximilian's Cafe in Woodland Park, Colorado, focusing on local, fresh ingredients with a changing seasonal menu. Located at 209 East Midland Avenue, Woodland Park, Colorado, right off Highway 24 in downtown. Our walls are full of local artist artwork, and on Friday and Saturday nights, we feature local singers, songwriters, and performers to entertain you while you relax and enjoy a fun environment, a glass of wine, and fantastic food. Open seven days a week from 11 to 9 p.m., 11 to 8 p.m. on Sunday and Monday. experiencing anxiety, anger, depression, or low self-esteem? Do you beat yourself up or sabotage what you truly want to achieve? Hi, this is Jeannie Smith, and at Open Heart Healing, I combine counseling, gestalt therapy, and Taiyi energy work to assist those who truly desire to bring quality and joy back into their lives. My office is located on South Perry Street here in Castle Rock. Call me for a free consultation at 303-660-6373. Again, that's 303-660-6373 or visit me at openhearthealing.com. Holistic Pathways is your local herbal medicine clinic. You can find them online at holisticpathways.com. Holistic Pathways supplies certified organic and ethically wildcrafted bulk medicinal herbs, herbal extracts, and essential oils. 
Holistic Pathways offers Mayan abdominal massage and specializes in women's health and fertility. Call 720-570-2454 to speak to a certified clinical herbalist today. That's Holistic Pathways at 720-570-2454. Welcome back to Food Integrity Now. We've been talking with Rodney North of Equal Exchange. And the first half hour, we talked about the chocolate industry and child slavery and how to how to choose products that don't support that and other ways to affect change in the food system. And right now, uh, we want to get more into uh, the type of co-op that Equal Exchange uh has it's, it's democratically run it's uh it's worker owned uh Ronnie continue with that we'd love to hear more sure so the the cooperative we're, we're just very big proponents of the cooperative business model uh like 90% of what we import is from farmer cooperatives we also work with farmer co-ops here in the states we ourselves are a worker cooperative uh probably 20 30% of our business is with food cooperatives that are owned and controlled by the shoppers, the, the consumers that go into those stores. And in general, we think that the, in some ways the, the cooperative is the original socially responsible business. And it, they take all kinds of forms. There's the rarest form, which is ours, the worker cooperative. Um, but you have large consumer co-ops like REI or, of course, farmer co-ops like Ocean Spray, Sunkissed, Land of Lakes, Organic Valley, uh, Welch's Grapes. Uh, these are all farmer co-ops. Um, and uh, you have your uh, retailer co-ops like True Value, uh, Ace Hardware. That enables the, the mom-and-pop businesses to compete with the, the Home Depots and the Lowe's. Uh, even the Associated Press is a cooperative owned by news organizations and newspapers around the country. Credit unions, uh no doubt you have those in your community. And so we think these are a great uh, sort of middle path between your conventional investor-owned, like publicly traded corporation and your nonprofit sector. Uh, so it's not that. It's not the, the corporations. It's not government. It is uh, these are for-profit businesses that are accountable to their members. Uh, in our case, the members are the employees themselves. And uh, we are like a small uh like a business, you could say a business community. Uh, you know, there's a hundred of us who own Equal Exchange, and we work on a one-person, one-share, one-vote basis. So the founder, he has one share of stock and one vote. The new person in the warehouse, he or she also has one share of stock and one vote. And uh, it's not a free-for-all. We're not a collective. We don't have everybody getting together to decide what color to paint the kitchen, um, but rather... There is a very clear delegation of responsibilities. The owners, you know, when we wear our owner hat, we meet four or five times a year and we make decisions at the very highest level. What are we here to do? Um, you know, how do we want to distribute profits? Uh, and who who are we going to elect to be our board to represent us and to get more involved in the nitty-gritty? The board, there's nine people, six of whom are rank-and-file employees. Three are outsiders for their expertise. 
And that board has responsibility. They get more involved uh, in the management and in, in overseeing management to make sure that we're on track financially, that we're on track in terms of our social and environmental mission. Um, and in turn, they're overseeing managers who oversee the rest of us. Uh, and they have more typical responsibilities for managers to actually execute on, on the business day in, day out. Um, and the point being that everybody is accountable to somebody else. So, uh, And that's often missing in business. Often when you get to the top of the, the business hierarchy, there's a CEO who really is kind of left untended. And they can do whatever they want so long as the profits keep uh, flowing. And uh, at a co-op, it's not like that. Um, the management needs to serve the whole business. And and the employees are not their you know, we're not off the hook either. We need to do our jobs nine to five. But in the end, we're also the owners. And so we have some control over our own fate. And there's, um, it seems like there's just more um, personal investment into the company when you're a hello? co-owner. Hello? Can you hear us? Uh-oh. Are you there? Well, it looks like uh, we have lost our guest. Hello? Are you there? Uh-oh. Sorry, can um, just hold on for a second. We're having a technical difficulty, and we may have just lost our guest. We're going to try to get him back real quickly. We've got another couple of minutes to share with him. Well, to continue, I think, I think his, you know, equal exchange, something like that, that type of a business is, is something that could reverse where we are right now with the corporations and a few, a few elite corporations holding most of the money in this country and our middle class seems to be disappearing. And, and I think that that is a result of this kind of top heavy type of Business. Well, yeah, that's that's kind of obvious of what's happening right. in the world, and you know. But you know, look at some look at the people of Wisconsin. They're they're fighting back. They're saying, you know, we want something different. So again, it, it's about not being passive. But I think it's just been fascinating having him on the show and learning about chocolate. And uh, I know personally that my chocolate choices are going to be different now. And I like my chocolate. Yeah, I'm pretty much an addict, and yesterday I went into a store, I won't say which store, and looked for Equal Exchange Chocolate because that was the only one I was sure of, and I couldn't find any, so I left with my chocolate craving. And now, if you know Susan, you know that that is huge. Yes. <laughs> I think we may have him back on the line. Yeah. Okay. Oh, good. We only, we only have about uh, four more minutes here, but... Um, uh, you want to carry on with what you, you were talking about? Um, how oh, just uh, I'll I'll wrap up our um, experience of a being a worker cooperative to just say that we're trying to bring. Well, th- think about all the reasons why we're so enthusiastic about democracy in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a lot of good reasons, and there's no reason why we shouldn't bring those things into the workplace. Um, if it's a good way to organize society, it can also be a good way to organize day-to-day activities, including how businesses are run. Uh, so we heartily recommend that people uh, check it out. Um, by the way, there's a 
group called World Blue, W-O-R-L-D-B-L-U.com. And uh, they promote uh, democracy in the workplace, and they have a lot of interesting examples there. So people should uh, check that out. It doesn't have to just be for co-ops. All kinds of organizations can make the workplace a little more democratic and humane. Right. And, you know, and let's just take it back to what this is really all about anyway. Um, you know, we do we want our children to be in slavery? And yeah. the answer is no. And, you know, but if we continue to support those products that um, have this as a pretty much a way of life, then that's what we're going to get. And it's I know it's something that a lot of people don't think about. So thank you for bringing this awareness to our show, because I think it's um, it's something that I would say the majority of the population was unaware of. Yeah. uh, And. There's all kinds of things going out there that we wouldn't like if we if we only knew. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just cacao; it's a lot of other things. I, I do encourage people to check out laborrights. dot uh, org uh, to learn more because there's there's work to be done in all kinds of fields. But mm-hmm. yes, we can start with our chocolate bars. Well, there certainly are a number of ways for people to affect a change, and um, you have you have listed many of them on our show today. So thank you for that. Yeah. Sure. Well, thank you for giving us the opportunity. Yeah, it's uh, been wonderful. You've educated us and, uh, you know, continue doing the great work that you're doing. Uh, we will. Thank you, Rodney. All right. Thank you. Thank you. And on our show next week, we are going to be talking with Dan Kittredge. Dan Kittredge is uh, the director of Real Food Company. He is an educator and he is really... Um, a proponent of stressing the importance of nutrient density in our food. And you're going to be hearing more about these two words, nutrient density. A lot of people may not think about this when they go to grab something, they're hungry, and they go eat something, but they may be eating something that has zero nutrient density. In other words, you've heard that word, empty calories. So um, he's he's going to really be... Um, stressing the importance of this and uh, talking about the work that he does um, in the world and creating awareness to this important subject, too. I know we've had Yule on the sh- uh, who's from Pachamama uh, Organic Farm here in Colorado, and he's talked a little bit about that. Uh, Susan, you remember when he talked about nutrient-dense soil? It starts with the soil, yeah. It starts with the soil. So I'm sure that uh, Dan will go into that a little bit too. But it's uh, it's really something to think about and to learn about. And uh, we're going to be excited to have him on the show. So thank you very much to all our listeners. You're listening to Food Integrity Now. And we archive all of our shows on our website which is foodintegritynow.org. And I think we have like 36 shows on there. So there's something for everyone, Uh, lots of great topics. So again, thanks for listening. We will be back next week.